Welcome to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Whether it's teen pregnancy, a pregnancy with multiples, or even your third or more pregnancy, navigating your first trimester can be daunting if you're unprepared. The first prenatal appointment is like your pregnancy's table of contents. Since there's a lot to cover, this visit will likely be the longest of any appointment during your pregnancy. So when should you schedule your first prenatal appointment? Your healthcare provider may have a packed schedule. Calling as soon as you know you're pregnant will give you the most flexibility in appointment timing. Some providers prefer to see their patients as early as six weeks, while others wait until eight weeks pregnant or later. However, it's important to give your provider a heads up so you can begin scheduling your prenatal care. In the absence of pain or vaginal bleeding, appointments earlier than eight weeks are not recommended, and scheduling one before then might mean you're not far enough along in your pregnancy to get any meaningful information. At the eight-week visit, the main objective is to confirm pregnancy via ultrasound and perform blood work. What's included in this workup? Finding out your blood type, checking for vaccine antibodies, testing for sexually transmitted infections, measuring A1C, which assesses diabetes risk, and getting a pap smear if you're overdue. If any of the above was covered during your preconception appointment, you won't need to do these again. The positive or minus at the end of your blood type is extremely important. That's your RH factor. RH positive means proteins appear on the surface of blood cells, and RH negative means they don't. If you're negative and the fetus is positive and your blood mixes during vaginal bleeding, your body can attack the proteins. Rhesus disease, the medical term for the above situation, can cause jaundice, increased risk of future pregnancy loss, and other conditions. Treatment typically takes place at the end of the second trimester and beginning of the third. Who should you go to? While you can go to an OB-GYN, midwife, or any provider who specializes in the health care of people with ovaries, continuity of care will be extremely important over the course of the next year. As such, 
make sure to inquire about which hospitals your provider has privileges and if they share OB call with other providers. You'll also want to know which hospitals are designated baby-friendly so as to ensure your smooth transition into breastfeeding during the postpartum period. What should you bring to your first prenatal appointment? To prepare, put together a list of questions and plan to share any thoughts you have about your birth plan. Also, consider writing down your family's medical history and your personal medical and surgical history in case there is information that could be relevant for your pregnancy. Also, bring with you a list of medications and supplements that you have been taking and or are still taking. You may also want to know the first day of your last recorded menstrual period and details of your last ovulation if you had positive ovulation test results. What should you expect at this visit? At your first prenatal visit, your provider will likely conduct a basic panel of blood work and an ultrasound. You'll also go over genetic testing, recommended vaccines during pregnancy, any preventive maintenance care, and any additional questions or concerns you may have. And just a heads up, you might be surprised by your due date. A full-term pregnancy is 40 weeks, but that begs the question, when do you start counting? By the time you get a positive pregnancy test after missing your period, you might be considered as far along as four weeks based on your last menstrual period, or LMP, even though sperm and egg didn't meet up until around week two. Given most people know when they had a period or their last menstrual period, your pregnancy is dated by LMP, not when you conceived. This will often add on two extra weeks. Confusing, but it's the convention providers use. Why? Not everyone knows when they ovulated, so going off your last period gives providers a more solid date to count from. The most accurate method is the last menstrual period consistent with the first trimester ultrasound. But if there is a big discrepancy, like seven days between predicted due dates, the ultrasound wins. If you weren't already taking a prenatal vitamin to help you fill any nutritional gaps, start as soon as possible. For some people, depending on past or current pregnancies, more folate each day may be recommended, and you may need to talk to your provider to find out if this is the case for you. We recommend 600 micrograms of folate, also known as methylfolate, during pregnancy to support fetal, neural tube, brain, and spinal development, with at least 400 micrograms coming from a prenatal vitamin. During your first trimester, keep tabs on your thyroid health. Increasing demands on the body during pregnancy can sometimes cause new thyroid issues. Clinical guidelines recommend a TSH of less than 2.5 in the first trimester. So your doctor or provider might keep an eye on your thyroid hormone levels and treat them with medication if they get too high. Medication, if needed, can decrease the risk of infants born with a lower body weight and other complications. So what can you expect during your first trimester outside of a detailed prenatal visit? Symptoms. You might be experiencing a lot of them, and it's important to check in with how you're feeling. Common symptoms in the first trimester include fatigue, nausea, spotting, mild shortness of breath, aversion to certain foods, cravings for certain foods, headaches, skin changes, acid reflux, bloating, and trouble sleeping. Be good to yourself. Nap when you can and keep taking your prenatal vitamin as they're shown to reduce nausea. If you're feeling anxious, your provider, prenatal therapist, and our first semester support group are here for you. Since symptoms are an expected part of early pregnancy, what's worth talking to your provider about? Vomiting during pregnancy isn't unusual, and it's not necessarily good or bad. 
But if you're vomiting several times a day and losing weight, it's important to let your provider know. As for spotting, it often doesn't indicate issues as implantation spotting is common. Still, keep your doctor or other provider in the loop and call them right away if the bleeding is so heavy that you're soaking an entire pad within an hour. The body goes through many hormonal changes that influence your skin during pregnancy. When you're pregnant, you start producing higher levels of estradiol and progesterone to prepare the uterine lining for supporting the embryo in its initial stages. Over 90% of pregnant people will experience a significant skin change that's either caused or exacerbated by pregnancy. Skin changes might include acne, melasma, that pregnancy mass that is often associated in the early trimester, brittle nails, hirsutism, excessive hair growth, thicker scalp hair, eczema, spider angioma, skin tags, and stretch marks. Many of these will resolve after pregnancy. Now, while caffeine isn't a total no-go during pregnancy, keep caffeine intake moderate. Cap it at 200 milligrams a day. But how much is 200 milligrams in real-world terms? Around two servings of your favorite caffeinated beverage. If keeping close track of exactly how much caffeine you're drinking feels a little overwhelming, you can always stick with decaf. Unlike caffeine, the guidelines regarding alcohol are crystal clear. No amount of alcohol can be safely recommended during pregnancy. There is plenty of research on fetal alcohol syndrome, and the medical community is confident that consuming alcohol while pregnant is the culprit. But there's one factor they haven't quite figured out yet, dosage. Staying away from alcohol is, of course, the safest bet. While the risk-based assessment from Professor Emily Oster in her book Expecting Better suggests that a glass of wine with dinner once a week is low risk, we still recommend to abstain during pregnancy and breastfeeding. On the other hand, smoking any amount during pregnancy isn't safe. It increases the risk of a wide range of complications from preterm birth and low birth weight to birth defects and sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS. Vapes and other nicotine products aren't safe either. The chemicals can cause damage to the fetus's brain and lungs as they're continually developing. When it comes to exercising and eating during pregnancy, there are special guidelines, so keep movement and nutrition in mind. You can absolutely stick with your regular exercise routine when you're pregnant, but it's not recommended to increase the frequency or intensity. As for food, eat two to three servings of fish per week, high DHA, also found in prenatal vitamins, and low mercury. And also, wash your fruits and vegetables. Avoid undercooked and unheated fish, often in your favorite sushi or maki roll, and meat, unpasteurized dairy, and anything linked to listeria. You might have heard of the risk around soft cheese versus hard cheese during pregnancy, but it's actually the pasteurization that's key in avoiding listeria, which is a bacterial infection, not the consistency of the cheese. Two of the most common pregnancy complications are gestational diabetes and high blood pressure, so watch out for these. At your first prenatal appointment, your doctor will likely check your blood sugar and blood pressure. You'll also urinate in a cup at every appointment so they can continue to monitor your health. In between appointments, staying on top of movement and nutrition can help you reduce the risk of these conditions. Early on in pregnancy, you'll be asked what types of screening you want. Remember, they are all optional. Screening, including blood tests and ultrasounds, can make you aware of any chromosomal abnormalities in the fetus. Diagnostic tests like amniocentesis, which measures the amniotic fluid, and chorionic villus sampling, 
which examines the placenta, are also available. That said, non-invasive prenatal testing, or NIPT, through a blood sample has quickly become the standard initial recommendation in prenatal care, often alongside some of these other tests. With increasing age, the risk of chromosomal abnormalities increase. The average risk of chromosomal abnormalities in a person with ovaries over 40 is about 1.5 to 5%. In contrast, the risk of chromosomal abnormalities lower in people under 40, anywhere between 0.5 to 1%. A part of preparing for pregnancy is also being informed about the possibility of miscarriage, which occurs in about 10% of all clinically recognized pregnancies, though the number is likely as high as 20% for all pregnancies. Why the wide range? Stigma. Plus, losses so early in pregnancy aren't even always recognized. Miscarriages can feel isolating, but you're far from alone if you experience one. Recurrent miscarriages, which are defined as two or more, those are experienced by 1% of pregnant people. The average risk of pregnancy loss at over 40 is 51%. For ages 45 to 50, the average risk is 93.4%. The 12-week appointment is all about checking for any developmental issues with the fetus. This appointment may include a nuchal translucency test, NT ultrasound, to test for chromosomal abnormalities. You'll also have the option to identify chromosomal abnormalities through a blood sample with non-invasive prenatal testing, like we talked about above. Starting around week 14, a fetus assigned sex can also be determined via ultrasound. If you decide to do NIPT, You can also ask to find out about the assigned sex that way. If you're over 35, the tests will likely be covered by insurance. One of the questions I most often ask is about pregnancy sex. For most people, all types of sex are totally safe throughout pregnancy. As for penetrative sex, there's little risk unless you have unexplained bleeding, placenta previa when the placenta is covering the cervix, a history of preterm labor or premature birth, leaking amniotic fluid, or prematurely opening cervix. That said, sexually transmitted infections during pregnancy can cause serious health problems for the birthing person and the fetus. If you have sex with a new partner while pregnant, make sure to use a barrier contraceptive, such as a condom. Also, for your information, it's completely fine to orgasm when you're pregnant. While some people might worry that the contractions from an orgasm could trigger labor contractions, they are too physiologically different for that to happen. So orgasm away. Even though you just found out that you're pregnant, considering your postpartum support system is key. Pregnancy and delivery can affect you and your family in a lot of different ways, your mental health included. While having the baby blues is common a few days after birth, one in nine new birthing parents experience postpartum depression. If this happens, therapy and sometimes medication can help. If you've dealt with depression or anxiety in the past, it might be worth it to talk to your healthcare provider about connecting you with a therapist who specializes in postpartum care. If you're in the D.C. metro area, Acoma Counseling Concepts is an excellent resource for perinatal mental health counseling, including and not limited to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, postpartum depression, miscarriage, fertility issues, perinatal loss, and postpartum anxiety. As you embark on your transition into motherhood for the first time or even the fifth time, please remember that your specific journey is special, unique, and wholly your own. Trust your instincts if you believe something feels off. Ask for help before you bottom out. 
Ask your providers questions and do not stop until you're satisfied that you have received all the information, including risks, benefits, and complementary alternatives. As you begin your journey to motherhood, from conception through postpartum and early parenting, be sure to grab a copy of the Natural Pregnancy Guide, an enjoyably informative read that empowers moms to make healthy choices. Remember, you're not a passenger on this ride. You're the driver. Just make sure you have some good traveling companions to join you on this trip. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.